0: Cheryl B. Engelhart is a classically trained piano player, singer-songwriter, composer and advocate for musicians who received degrees from Cornell University and Juilliard. And she's right here on the Career Musician podcast. Her recent solo ambient album Luminary hit number one on Amazon and iTunes' New Age Charts in early 2020. Her music is designed to combat anxiety and provide energetic peace and focus, which by the way, was composed and produced in a studio located in a half-abandoned mountain town in Greece. She's in the final phase of editing her Broadway musical, Boiler Room Girls, and it was her successes as an independent musician that led to the creation of an online educational series called In the Key of Success, with the main focus on communication, email marketing, and branding. Right here on The Career Musician, please welcome and learn from Cheryl B. Engelhart herself. Cheryl B. Engelhart, welcome to the Career Musician Podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, super stoked to have you. I really appreciate you doing this.
1: Of course. Thanks for, thanks for being around and doing what you're doing.
0: Yeah, yeah. So we have some mutual friends, Rick Barker and Michael Elsner. Uh, and basically, that's how I became aware of you um, from Michael Elsner. He and I go way back, at least... I want to say 15 years. Uh, mm-hmm. He's like, yo, you need to check out this girl, Cheryl. She's killing it with all of her programs and everything. That she, I mean, I mean, you have so much information and music and content. It's like incredible. Just one quick look at your website. I have to think you're not human. You're superhuman. <laughs> How the
1: hell you I doing? thank you. I'm actually 104 years old. Oh. So I've just, it's over time, you know, it just takes time. No, thank you. I appreciate that. I, 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 yeah. I, uh, yeah, it's fun to crank stuff out when it's needed, and that's kind of what I've been really making sure I don't over-create when there's already stuff out there. So all the stuff that I've created, I feel like, is, is either really hard to find, poorly executed, or just doesn't exist.
0: I really like that methodology. Uh, okay, so tell us a little bit how you got started with music Uh, Again, just looking at your website, uh, which everybody can go to, cbemusic.com, you know, you have a choral arrangement background, a composer background, you've gone to school. Tell us a little bit about how you got started.
1: Yeah, I grew up playing the piano, and I was really into a cappella groups and singing and stuff in high school, but I loved dolphins and whales, and I went to college to become a marine biologist, and I was taking a lot of music electives, um, and my advisor was like, you know, if you if you take like two more classes in music, you could actually double major. I went to Cornell they didn't have minors at the time. So I was like, okay. So I had ended up having a double major and I really focused in, in the music major. i m- focused in music technology. And that's where I sort of got started in film scoring. Um, some of the technology, a lot of the technology classes were just sort of using, putting media together as an example of here's all the tech. Um, so that, you know, sort of by default, I learned about scoring. And I think the first thing I ever scored was actually like a Pfizer commercial for, um, Viagra. <laughs> so that's fun. Um, I was like, Oh, hello, world of white men who dominate. In, like, let me come in on right, right in here. So anyway, so, you know, fast forward, I got an internship in the New York City, I was a messenger in Manhattan for an advertising agency through, I became a video editor at that. Like I sort of just worked my way through. um, And then that's how I met a bunch of musician, musician houses, music houses, jingle houses, the people that write the music for the commercials. So I ended up getting a job there, working there, started as their tech, um, moved up to their music supervisor, basically managing their library of thousands of tracks that hadn't gotten sold They, you know, for every commercial they got in house, they would write between two and 10 tracks and one would win. And then you have the rest. What do we do with those? So those were managed in the library. And then um, I just would stay there real late at, after the composers went home and I would work on the commercials that they were working on. And I started presenting them to my bosses and they started presenting them to the clients and I started winning. So then I kind of became a composer. Um, all the while, you know, it was this beautiful studio. So I was like, well, I've got some songs. Maybe I should put a band together. we will do some gigs at the bitter end, you know, hang out in New York City and I really liked gigging. So I started writing records and producing them I did a couple there I did a couple at different studios in the city and I started touring on the weekends and in any like two-week period I could get off and so I ended up leaving the job to go do the full-time indie singer-songwriter touring all over the world licensing you know all that stuff did four sort of piano chick pop records a la Cerebrella's Alanis Morse you know um yeah and that's kind of where uh i started getting asked to speak on panels and other musicians would reach out to me being like hey you're a full-time indie musician um i was scoring web videos for collegehumor.com i started getting some documentary score requests in um i kept in contact with a lot of my advertising people which helped a lot for placements so i kind of had this full very full career and so i got asked to speak at millennium music conference and then it was south by southwest and then Up expo and i was like oh like people are asking me a lot of the same questions and i could always tell them what i did but i i know there's a million ways to do any one thing to get any one results and it's got to be your path so i actually went and got about 750 hours over several years of career coaching training so that i could not just tell people here's what i did but let's listen to what you really want and figure out what's stopping you which is the you know when a Coach is a really good coach is asking the questions rather than giving advice. So that sort of turned into me creating some resources. I really focused in on communication. So email marketing, pitching, um, and just a lot of clarity. And I have a membership that's sort of the holistic total musician uh, that's really about getting clear on what you want and then powerfully communicating it. And that's called Amplify. And all of that lives in my world in the key of success.
0: Okay, the podcast is over. Thank you. <laughs> Holy cow, that was that was like the best pitch I've ever heard. Most concise and to the point and clear and easy to understand.
1: Oh, what was wow. I pitching? I didn't even know. No, oh, not- I didn't even that, that that takes you to like 8 years ago and then since then I there's a whole other trajectory. But yeah, the, all that in the cube success stuff still lives.
0: <laughs> I love it. And I didn't even mean to call it a pitch. I didn't mean that. I'm just like, I guess what do you call that? That's the best biography. <laughs> oh. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> uh delivery of a biography. That was perfect. You know, wow. Hmm.
1: Yeah. So, I told you I'm 104 years old. I've done this a couple of times.
0: You've done it a few times. I love that. Okay. So this is definitely some things to unpack. So uh, first of all, I love the fact, so are you from New York native?
1: Uh, from the tri-state area. I grew up in Connecticut, went to school upstate New York, lived in Harlem for 12 years, love moved it. up to the Hudson Valley with a mountain guide husband. So, you know, I yes, I'm such a, I, I feel like, yes, I'm a New Yorker at this point.
0: Tried and true New York, yeah, yeah. So, okay. So the thing is, um, you started off with the agencies. You were, yes. you, you said you were a messenger. Then you got in. You would stay late at night. You had access to all these studios. That's how you cut your teeth. I want to talk about that because that's tenacity and initiative, right? Yep. So that's. The, I think that's the first ingredient for somebody who wants to be a career musician. Yeah. Uh, how did was that innately just there? You just said, man, I'm just gonna hustle.
1: I mean, it kind of was like. I could sort of see this light at the end of the tunnel. And I was like, well, if I want to get a commercial, if I want to get my music on a commercial, I have to write music for the commercial. (laughs) I'm in a commercial house. I'm literally in a jingle room right now. There are commercials here. I never considered it hustle. I just sort of considered it really clear on what I was going for. And and it was always semi-short term. So it was like, oh, if I want to get music on a commercial, I need to write music for a commercial. If I if I want to write music for a commercial, I have to have access to a studio. If I want to have access to a studio, I need to wait until everyone leaves. Mm-hmm. So if I want to wait till everyone leaves, I need to keep my job so that I can have... Like, it just all kind of worked backwards and made sense. You know, I, I have had a client that was like, I want to win a CMA. And I'm like, cool. That's awesome. Like... I, yeah, I want to have a record that wins a CMA. I'm like, great. So where are we right now? Because that's my that's my superpower is looking at where are we now and where do you want to go and let's close the gap. And they were like, well, I don't. I have a so- one song written. I'm like, I'm sorry. You want to win an an award for an album and you have one song written? Like, what's what's the lack of clarity here? <laughs> like it, it to me the clar- the path is always very clear. Like, okay, cool. We got to write some songs and make an album. Um, and and I know that that lack of clarity can just cause so much. Trial and error, and in the in the very beginning, I'm such a fan of trial and error. I had an internship when I was a junior in college, working at a hip hop studio for an engineer, and I realized really early on that I wanted to work somewhere where there were windows. Like I was like not into the dark studio thing. Like t- got a lot of technical amazing chops there, but I was like this engineer life, this is not my thing. But if you if you can eliminate the trial and error in your life, so that you're not just you know, I always say throwing spaghetti against the wall and seeing what sticks, it's not empowering after a while, especially if you're gluten-free because that shit's expensive. Sorry, can we not swear on this? Uh, bleep that out right there, Eric. You G. can curse as much
0: as you want. What the hell? We're fucking New Yorkers. We Come can, we can oh. curse, but we can't talk about gluten.
1: Oh, we can't talk about gluten. God, I did not read the rules ahead of time. I <laughs> that, yeah, that's limits. We'll get canceled. Uh, okay, cool. Sorry. <laughs> but you know what I mean? So course, the, the, that intention of just, just seeing like, and it doesn't need to be this huge life Like, you know, 10 year plan, it can literally be like, oh, it'd be cool if I got my music on a commercial, or at least, you know, in in that world that I was in, that was like the, the immediate, that would be a cool result. Cool. Let's work backwards.
0: Mm-hmm. okay so sure you say that uh, oh this isn't a big life thing but so, so some people have had difficulty accomplishing some of these milestones that you're speaking of so where do you start again imagine you're a career musician you really don't know what to do but you know you want to do it as a career yeah how do you start figuring out those things how do you write down your goals to help that become more clear
1: yeah I think that um, to, to figure out what you actually want is is the bottom first step. And there's a couple of things you can look at. You can look at, okay, what do I want my day-to-day activities to be on a whole? And like yes, that can change up. It, you could be like, oh, I want to tour for six months and I want to be writing for six months. Um, you know, but like create your your day and what does that look like and where is it? and like really get clear on the vision of the lifestyle for one. And I know that's really big. You could get that lifestyle in uh, any number of ways, right? You, I mean, one of the things that I, I tell my clients is like, you, okay, cool. If it's about the money, then go get a job in a bank. Like why, why music, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not just about creating that lifestyle financially um, or creatively or whatever, but it's also like, who are you doing the things with? What are the things? Um, what What kind of time do you need for yourself? What time of what kind of time do you want collaborating? You know, really getting clear on, um, in Amplify, my membership, we call it your commitment statement. It really answers the question, what are you up to? What's your purpose? And it, you kind of use it as your compass. So I'm, I'm committed to creativity, partnership, self-expression. And everything I say yes to has to have all three of those. So like being on this podcast, totally, totally creative. This is not scripted, right? It's Mm -hmm. totally self-expressed. I am getting to say a lot of things. Um, And there's partnership here, right? We're in conversation. We're in partnership. We're providing something for other people to hope that they're going to become more self-expressed in their chosen art. So I, you know, I got asked to score a film and they just wanted me to rip the score of When Harry Met Sally. And I was like, and I gave them something like close that I felt was legally as close as I could get. And they were like, nope, not close enough. So there was no creativity for me. There was no partnership, right? And there was no self-expression. So I was like, you know what? I actually have to turn this down because this is not aligned with what I'm committed to. So if you can start with just getting what you're committed to, and then you can use that to say, okay, I have... A lot of options because I know the options can sometimes be a buzzkill. Like people Mm -hmm. think they love options, but the more options, should I start with licensing or should I start with live streaming or should I start releasing music or should I start like when you don't know what's next? Like the options can become a curse. And you can look at all the options when you have this very clear commitment statement and be like, yeah, this is aligned with what I'm up to. And maybe you can narrow the options down a little bit.
0: I'm so glad you said options. I am one of those uh, indecisive type people. So if I I feel. Yeah, if I see a large menu, I get overwhelmed. I'm like, okay, I don't... So the first thing I do is like, okay, let me order a drink and a salad. I'll just start there and see because it's going to take me 30 minutes to figure out what the hell I want.
1: (laughs) It's the only reason I like going to weddings. It's like fish or chicken, always... (laughs) Always, always dessert. So it's very simple for me.
0: I love that. Um, But I I also identify with that because I always tell people the same thing at the beginning, at the onset. Decide what you want to be within music. First of all, do you want to be an artist or do you want to be a support musician? That's always the first thing I tell them. Uh, So again, it seems like you've done a little bit of all the above. You like you said, you've had your own band you know, ranger, composer, you know, blah, blah, blah. But now also you've gotten into this other uh, lifestyle that you mentioned about like coaching and whatnot. I want to remind everybody that didn't happen immediately. You told us a little bit about your story and it happens in stages. How do you deal with, uh, or how do you talk to people about dealing with the overwhelm and, and having the Mm. patience and, and 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 the perseverance
1: I love that you said stages. I actually so stage can can sometimes have a connotation. If you're like I'm in stage four, it sounds like you know sort of Mm -hmm. terminal illness. But um, I I call them phases, and it's the foundation of Amplify. Actually, we call it the musician success cycle, and it's five five phases that you go through. No matter where you are in your music career, you're constantly going through one of the five, and maybe you're going around the cycle for the very first time, or maybe it's your fifteenth time around the cycle, but. At any given moment in your music career, you are either in phase one, which is learning and determining. So when I was getting all asked all those questions, I was like, I'm going to get training as a career coach. I was in phase one learning. Phase two is creating. So I was like, I'm going to create a course or I'm going to make my record. This is creating your, your actual music or supplementary um, assets like music videos, social posts you're creating in this phase. Phase three is the... Pro- the preparation the preparing and the the website the metadata all that it's very adminy most musicians try to zoom through this phase or skip it all together but then you're kind of screwed if you do if when you get to phase 4 which is pitching and promotion. so you're no longer inside your own self creating and setting everything up you're now getting it out there you're putting the the pitches out there you're promoting and you have all the the ducks in a row so that when people are like yeah I want that thing where do, send where do I go and how do I find it it's, you're like cool I've set up because I went through phase 3 And then phase five, after pitching and promoting, is monetizing and maintaining. So you might be doing a task or two from the other phases at any given point, but really when you zoom out as an artist, your energy is in this monetizing or creating whatever phase you're in. The monetizing is like if you're a composer, your reel is all set up already, You, you started to get some gigs, you're doing the gigs, you're performing live. If you're a musician that performs live, you're like doing the stuff, your licensing, all that stuff. And then at some point, you're going to get bored there and you're going to be like, I need to learn a little bit more. Maybe I want to take a course in email marketing and step that up. And now you're ready to go back around the cycle and just you keep leveling up, building on what you did the cycle before. So, a lot of musicians often get stuck in the creating and the pitching phase two and phase four. And that's where overwhelm comes in, is when you're not owning what phase you're in. So, you might be like, I'm writing a record, but you're already thinking about the playlist that you want it to get on, and you're already starting to gather your pitch lists, and you're already, but you're not even done finishing the lyrics on the last song. So, that's where a hundred percent where that overwhelm comes in. It's a little bit of that like squirrel syndrome, um, shiny love- object syndrome. And that yes. is just from not doing the task that you need to move through gracefully and transition to the next phase own it. Like, okay, I'm in this crappy phase where I got to like set up metadata and do the copyrights and register the PROs and do all this stuff. And you know, okay, but do it right. And then you're going to have a much easier time when you're in phase four or phase five. I,
0: I love it. You-, you break it down so wonderfully. Love the, the squirrel syndrome, the, the shiny object syndrome thing you're talking about. Amazing. Yeah. So true as creatives. Uh, first of all, uh, oftentimes we suffer from, you know, lack of focus, right? A little bit of ADHD here and there, right? Uh, but I, I always, again, I always say you can only do one thing at a time wholeheartedly. If you're going to track an instrument, sit down and track that. Today I'm going to do guitars on these three songs. Then just fucking do that. Period. End of story. Then go eat dinner and watch Netflix, right? Like, it's like, Do you it. have to compartmentalize. If Queen's not, Gambit.
1: yes. it's, yes. oh,
0: Queen's Gamut. Yeah. Otherwise you just get, ooh, crazy.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think that when you, I love that you said like, eat dinner and go watch Netflix. Like, yeah. Build in time to to chill, take days off. Like when you're owning where you are, you're allowed you're giving yourself permission to not do it all right now. I am a full believer that you can 100% have it all, you can 100% do it all. If you wear multiple hats, like 100%, you just cannot and should not. And I don't love the word should, but I'm gonna say it here. You should not do it all right now. Like right. so, right now, just to be super transparent, I'm in phase one. Last year, I had a new age record came out. It was number one on all these charts. It did really freaking well. And normally I'm like, let's drop a record once every three or four years. But because it did so well, it got featured on Grammy.com, all this great stuff. We, me, my team are like, we need to ride this wave. And so... I have been told I need to do another New Age record this year. So I'm like, okay, we're, we're going right back in. To And I needed to sit with this learning and determining. I really dug into the New Age genre. I learned some more about charts. And I sort of like, okay, I monetized it. I we did a fan funding thing. I had a billboard ad that my fans paid for. Like I did phase five real well. And now I'm like, I'm sitting in phase one and I'm letting myself, sometimes the phases you're in it for a couple of days. Sometimes you're in it for a couple of years. I will just say that there's no right or wrong amount of time. And I'm sort of giving myself January to really do the learning and determining phase one and figure out what's the schedule for this year and then move into phase two where it's like all right it's go time let's write some songs let's r- let's do some recordings um so that that all being said me sharing where i am i was like oh, i want to like redo some stuff on my website so uh i scheduled that in because i'm a big fan of when i think of something to do i don't have to-do lists they go right into my calendar um and i See? yeah oh that by the way that's like the most high level mastery of calendar stuff you can do when you do that you become a master of time it's very magical um and also to-do list i used to be so such a fan of crossing things off and checking boxes and all the things it it's it that's just a mask for it's still a dark cloud that's hanging over you and it doesn't exist anywhere in time and space and it's up to you versus you can have a partnership with your calendar but that's all that all being said la- last week i was like all right i'm gonna redo my website i'm gonna like tweak it and you know like change it up a little bit and update it for this year and i was like that's a phase three thing i know that i'm transitioning right now from phase one to phase two like shame on me cheryl so i scheduled that website thing i just went mm, april 4th so i blocked out six hours on april 4th i don't know what's happening april 4th i just randomly picked a day in the future and now i know i don't have to stress about it it's in april it's in the calendar for some date later and i can always search my calendar if i decide i, I moved through the phases sooner um but i'm i mean i'm creating a whole new record i'm i'm definitely I'm going to probably want through April 4th at this moment. So that, that was how I was responsible for owning where I am, despite the shiny object. Oh, this needs to get done. It doesn't need to get done right now. Most likely the thing that you think isn't super urgent, unless someone else is depending on you or you set, you have integrity, you have, you know, you said you were going to do something by a certain time, you get to say how your projects go and when they happen.
0: I love that. You get to say how your projects go and when they're going to happen. So I always say it's not enough to have a to-do list, but you have to have a corresponding timeline. That, that's that been my incarnation of what you're talking about. I, I love the idea of putting it on the calendar. Oftentimes I've found uh, I bump things. I bump myself. Because how many times have we double booked a session or, or a, a collaborative, you know, project whatever and we call oh i'm so sorry you know i got to move this to accommodate that but then when it comes you don't want to do that as much because people you're working with you don't want to screw up your cal- calendar with them but for some reason myself i'm like oh i can bump that that's not as important right
1: some- yeah we don't have the integrity with ourselves that we do and most you're this here's the thing most people use their calendar for other people's appointments. Like I have a dentist appointment or I have a session with a client or I have a, you know, whatever. Uh, and and if you're really good at keeping those appointments, cool. You've become a master of calendar 101. <laughs> when you start taking your tasks and putting them into your calendar and you just start that as a practice, then you're at 201. 301 is like sticking with them for the most part. Like 401, 501, like if we want to do like mastery, it's when you have equal amount of integrity with yourself that you do the other people that you show up for. And, That's and you're human, things happen, and you want to plan for them so you don't want to stack your day with all this stuff. So you want to give some room for that email. Oh, Can you pull this track for me? Oh, yeah, yeah, I can totally do that. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I allow myself to move an event three times. Okay. So my my schedule is flexible. So, like, book a doctor's appointment. Let's just use that as an example. So I I thought to myself, oh, my gosh, I haven't booked that doctor's appointment. I, I doctor, whatever doctor. Then And I so I put it into my calendar as an event, Monday morning, and then, you know... It comes to Monday morning, I'm like, I've got something else to do, so I'm going to move this. So if I move it three times, I have two options. And I stick with to this, like, glue on the third. Like, I am I am so strict with myself about this. I either delete it because it's not important and it shouldn't have been there in the first place. Or it's intimidating to me because it's too big of a bite to take. So, for example, like, book doctor's appointment may have been too intimidating because I actually needed to book a two events. One is research new doctors, and then book the appointment Mm -hmm. so maybe i needed to break that i actually did it you guys i made my doctor's appointment the first time around so i'm just using this as an example but that being said you you could you have a little bit of wiggle room but i would always cap it at moving it three times and then really examine why do i keep moving this what am i afraid of how what do i need to handle to either get this thing done if it needs to get done and like no more excuses like stop bullshitting yourself Mm -hmm. or just get rid of it
0: Freaking love it. I was going to ask about a day in the life and self-management, and basically you just covered both of those topics. Uh, <laughs> and so it's perfect. It's, it's, it's wonderful. All right. Uh, tell us about your stint in the indie artist world, especially. Uh, I love the fact that you have the album that's charting. Congratulations. Amazing. I've Thank listened you. to it. Love it. I already told you that. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> absolutely. Talk about the indie artist aspect where you went on tour and you started booking. Because yeah. t- that's another thing that people are like, well, how do I do it? Where do I start? Obviously, we're in COVID, but yeah. we're going to come back to life eventually. Let's talk yeah. about
1: that. I mean, you can do this online, too, with live streams, hitting up different Facebook pages, different brands, venues, and all that stuff. So a lot of this stuff will apply for sure. But for touring, I always got started with what I called an anchor gig. So an anchor gig to me is I know no one in the Midwest. A friend of mine that I went to college with was like, hey, I live in Columbus, Ohio, and I have like 40 people that that I work with, and we always go to this live music venue on Friday nights you should get a show there. And I'm like, if you book me a show, I will come. He booked me in the show and I was like, okay, cool. I actually do have a distant aunt in Cincinnati. I'll book a show in Cincinnati. I ended up calling a guitar playing friend. And I was like, hey, do you know anyone in the Midwest? He's like, yeah, Western Pennsylvania. I have a bunch of people. I'm like, you want to do a show out there? So we ended up like booking a tour from New York city together. He brought on another guy. So it was three of us. Then we all sort of booked and we changed up who opened for each other. And then we had like a seven day tour with six different venues. We each took a in charge of a town, got some radio shows, we did a house concert. So we changed up the venues. But it all started with a friend of mine being like, you should play in my random town in the middle of Ohio. And I was like, okay, like, let's make it happen. And that was that, that happened for me in Switzerland. That happened for me on the West coast. I went from San Diego to Seattle for two weeks. That was one of my first like really big tours. Um, I toured in Europe like seven times, Switzerland, six times, like Germany, England, all over the place. And it all came from like, Hey, I have this one gig or this one idea or this one festival or this one contact, um, and start there and then just work out.
0: Were you able to make those tours lucrative?
1: I never lost money in a tour. Like I am baffled by and I and like most of them I did with paying three guys. Um granted they were like brothers to me and their their rates were awesome and they were all willing to like sh- share a really shitty motel room with like four of us in a room um and two beds often that you know if we were lucky. So I mean yeah. we also got gigs where I I played ski resorts and golf courses. We played at Pebble Beach and we stayed in Michael Jordan's suite cuz they ran out of rooms. We were like oh my god like i mean we've we got hooked up but i i think for the most part i always at the minimum would make sure i was doing gigs that would pay so i could break even um that was that was always my goal there were definitely tours that i made money on like i did a lot of solo ski resort sort of stuff around the northeast and then i did a whole colorado tour and those always made money because it was just me um i know paying bandmates can can definitely be the biggest thing i often would recruit fans i i did a thing This was actually one of the first things I did with a fan list. And my fan list was maybe like 500 people at the time. It was like, which is not small, but it was people that had just seen me from performing live. And I reached out to them and, and I think this was like this is a very long time ago, not even going to say, I was like 85 years ago. And I said to them, I was like, Hey, does anyone have unused miles? Because I got invited to a festival in Europe, and they want me to bring the band and I can't pay for I was living in Harlem for $400 a month, I couldn't pay like $4,000 tickets um, on my messenger salary. So I ended up um, getting three out of four of those tickets paid for by people sending me their like work miles they weren't going to use. And I had to pay like transfer fees. So I think I probably ended up paying about $300 in fees, but I wasn't paying full for full tickets. And I was like, oh, there's something here with my email list. And that was my first indication that I was onto something. And I was I was communicating in a way that really connected with my fans. And that led me, you know, 10 years later then I'm going and getting certified as a digital marketer with in, in email and then creating a course for it uh, for musicians on it. But it, it was a cool like, oh, okay, if I have this kind of support and 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 what people got was like we made little video vlogs on our phones like our literally our flip phones when we were over there and they got to sort of see the inside like they were on tour with the band in europe and during festival festivals like you know i really got that there was a, a value exchange there for being part of the experience hey this is cheryl b Englehart, and i am a career musician
0: being a career musician is more than just gigs and sessions are you a career musician Find out on the Career
1: Musician Podcast, streaming everywhere. Be sure to like, follow, share, and comment on Instagram and Facebook.
0: Okay, perfect segue. In the key of success. uh, So first of all, you took these 750 hours of coaching, I think you said, was that Mm -hmm. right? Uh, And you got certified as a digital marketer. Uh, two different
1: things. Okay, to, to yeah, two different okay, tell us coach, about
0: that. Break that down.
1: Yeah, like life. so life coaching training and then digital so digital marketer is an actual it's the biggest online education platform for digital marketing topics. They have a huge conference, traffic and conversions is one of their things out. I don't know if they run it or they're like a big part of it in um, San Diego. So I would like go to those for a couple years in a row and just and not not music industry people at all. I think I ran into like one person there that was music industry related and um and they have certification programs. And so I was like, all right, well, I do email pretty well. I think that most, most musicians whose lists I'm on do email really badly. Like I hate getting emails from most musicians. Um, and maybe there's something to, and then I would search blogs. Cause here's the thing, like, I'm not going to waste my time creating a course if there's a course out there. And I would search like all the Googles and all the blogs and everything. And all I could find was like, here's how to write a newsletter. And all I knew is that newsletters Are the worst, and no one should ever write another newsletter again in their life. And Mm -hmm. so I was like, wait, if all of these basic blogs, I I mean, all you could get is like the basics for forever. And, And most of it was really bad advice, but very logical in what a lot of musicians did, and just they weren't effective. So you know, I was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to learn this stuff. And then if it's good and I try it on myself and it works, then I guess I'm going to make a course about it. And I'm going to write like 40 email templates so that people don't have to stress about what to write. And I'll just write them emails for them. And then they, you know, just make it really easy. Cause that's kind of what I wanted. And I, I've re- literally only created resources that I wish I had.
0: What is the, the main resource that got you started? i'm sorry and the main resource that you created what is that first oh
1: it's it's called the jump start strategy and Mm -hmm. it's literally like it sort of answers the question you asked earlier how do you get started and it starts with that commitment statement Mm -hmm. and it's it's really the basis of what my i sort of turned that into the mastermind amplify um but it, it touches on your brand and just getting clear on who you are and what you want so that that it is very apparent in your website, your branding, what it looks like, what your music is, and then how you're going about choosing how to make money. And it goes through a couple income sources and things like that.
0: Right. So, so at the in the keyofsuccess.com dot com, you have Amplify, you have MX Four, and Rock your email mm-hmm. list. So those are the, yeah. the programs that you that you offer.
1: Yeah. MX4 is what that, uh, that PDF, the jumpstart strategy turned into. It's a little, it's called the MX4 stands for the marketing, branding, money-making mentorship, mastermind, uh, masterclass. And it's, so it's, it really kind of gives you the zoomed out version of like, who are you as a person? How do you align that with your music? How do you make money on it? Um, so that kind of covers all those elements.
0: I love that. Wow. So again, so comprehensive, everything you have (laughs) is beautifully laid out, very comprehensive. Um, Do you ever feel, you personally, even though you have a lot of these tools and you've studied, um, do you ever feel overwhelmed and and, and figure out, hey, wait a minute, I have to hit the reset button, I have to zoom out and reassess, uh, you know, do you have a mantra if so, you know? (laughs)
1: <laughs> um, I It's so funny. I just got this question the other day from someone in Amplify. Like, do you get overwhelmed? And I I realized, like, when, when I really declared that I was in phase one again, I'm coming around the mountain through that success cycle. Like, did the monetize... We all want to hang out in monetizing land forever. But I was like, <laughs> you know, it's time to create. For a hot second, I was like, oh, my God, there's so much to create. There's singles. There's a schedule. And I was like, oh, I'm in phase one. I need to determine. Learning and determining is what I call that phase. What's next? So I... I do not experience overwhelm the way I think a lot of people do. And the I think the reason is the two solutions to me are to either get into action or to ask for help. So I usually, the second I feel it sort of coming on, and for me it feels like anxiety a little bit, it's kind of like this tense. Um, I either know to, to get into action and be like, okay, like I'm starting to feel something needs to get done uh, okay, cool. I should do something, or I ask for help, um, and that might be in the form of taking a course or getting a on a coaching call with someone or an accountability call, or it, it could look like a number of things.
0: I'm a huge fan of delegation. I've always been. Uh, I feel like that really frees up the uh, the old brain power, right?
1: Yep. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: That falls under the, the asking for help category. Totally. Um, so again, and I also, I'm a huge fan of using the resources that are available to you. I love how you said when you went on tour, you know, sit down with a pad and paper, write down all the people you know, and figure out what parts of the country or world they live in, right? Start there, plant your seeds there. This is brilliant. You you remember Earl Nightingale, uh, like the godfather of of motivational speaking? (laughs) He's since Hmm. passed. One of the things he said, if you're stuck, sit down every morning with a pad and something to write with and write down 50 ideas of what you can do to jumpstart. Now, obviously, if you sit down and write 50 ideas a day, you know, his point was, even if you get to number three, you're gonna write it down and a light bulb is gonna go off. And you're like, ah, oh, I I didn't think of that until just now, right? So I love that. It's it's yeah. on point. It's perfectly on point. Okay. Uh, again, you're you're giving us so much great information. I'm trying to unpack all the little morsels here. Let's talk about how you define success. Mm. Your, your course in the keyofsuccess.com with these courses you're offering. Again, you have such a such such a comprehensive handle on everything you're delivering. How mm-hmm. do you define success?
1: Um, I think for me, it's it's like at any given moment, can I say that I am experiencing what I'm committed to? So, am I experiencing partnership, creativity, self-expression, um, and? It, You know, that can just be like a check-in. So that's sort of like the zoomed out version. Um, For a while, I had success that like all my bills came from music. So, or all my bills could be paid from music. So, I mean, I just defined it different ways, but I do very much believe in um, a very specific definition of success so that you know when you hit it. Mm -hmm. And Amplify, we call this the champagne win. So a lot of people say, well, I just want to grow my following this year. I'm like, okay, cool. If you have two new people on your fan list, are we breaking out champagne for you? And and maybe we are. Maybe that is the goal. But probably not, right? Like, probably not. So when people say I want more, I think more is definitely, and technically, a four-letter word. Like, that should be gone goodbye from your vocabulary. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because, like, we hear that a lot because we are afraid of saying something specific in case we don't get it it but here's the thing it's just data so if you make a goal of I want a thousand new Spotify followers by March 1st and you get 500 Like, we have data. We're like, okay, we now know what it took to get to 500. We know what we did that worked. We know what maybe we need to brainstorm a little bit more on something else. Or maybe we just overshot that goal. And now we have more information to inform us the next time we create a goal. So when you look at any results as data, it takes the emotion out. And it takes the I disappointed myself or I failed or all of that stuff. It just removes it. So then you're much more likely to create another specific measurable goal or champagne winner, whatever you want to call it, so that um, you can keep moving forward.
0: I love that. Hey, you, side tangent, let's talk about why is everybody so hype on building Spotify? We all know it's not monetizable.
1: I don't know, are they? I mean, crazy? it's numbers, it's it's a listening, you know, it might be that, that if you're on Spotify, that if you, <laughs> we sort of had that, we are not our own, our best true fan you know if you're like oh i hate that color but yeah like all my fans love it so it's like we're not our best avatar so sometimes people like i know people that are like well i hate instagram but all my fans are on it but i just hate the interface i never use it i'm like yeah but you are not trying to cater to you you are trying to cater to your fans so i don't know if there's a little bit of like well i use spotify so therefore i want to be on it and see my name being big i don't know if it's an ego thing um You, you can monetize it. It's just an, it's a quantity Quantity. game.
0: It's a long Um, game. So you
1: got to play the quantity game there, uh, which means putting out a lot of stuff, pitching a lot of stuff. I'm a big fan of submit hub to do pitches direct to playlisters for cheap, but you can get a lot of placements on maybe smaller playlists. But again, if you're playing the numbers game, then cool. That's the game you want to go win.
0: Yeah. I love SubmitHub. Have you found it to be, um, you know, successful with your? Yeah,
1: I had a high success rate for my New Age album, but I do know that New Age is a smaller genre. And so the success rates are definitely lower depending on on your genre and can be higher also depending on your genre. So, um, yeah, it's really good, again, data because uh, you when you submit, you can submit to get feedback. And I interviewed the uh, the CEO of Submit Hub on my podcast, and they uh, he said that you always want to make sure that you check the get feedback. Um, you just have a higher rate of uh, getting accepted if you do. So you always know whether or not you miss the mark in pitching a p- specific. Playlists. So you can look at, okay, what are those playlists keywords and things like that? Okay, cool. Maybe I need to adjust what my keywords are. So you can just use that as more information for future pitches, which, I, you know, if you haven't figured out, I'm big dork and data is <laughs> data is king and queen.
0: Okay, okay. Uh, we've got to pump the brakes here because I don't want to gloss over any of these great morsels. First of all, you're the data queen. That's your your title or whatever you- Yes. Yeah. Well, you self-accessively call yourself that.
1: Talk about
0: that that and why. I have two other things I'm going to hold on to. First, data queen.
1: Someone else, called, someone else called me the email queen. I'm like, okay, cool. None of these queens are sexy, but I will bring the sexy to the data and to the email. I will tell you
0: so, that. So tell us, why is that? So you you are willing to sit down and painstakingly comb through the data to find out what the hell is working and what isn't. Is that is that the, the long and short of it?
1: That is the long and the short of it.
0: Okay. Do you have a process you'd like to adhere to?
1: Um, Tools that
0: you might engage?
1: I mean, it depends on what kind of data I'm looking at. Your there, eyes and your
0: brain, right?
1: <laughs> I mean, they're... they're The rule for movement is to do more of what works and less of what does not.
0: So So if you're spinning your
1: wheels, expecting something, if you're doing the same thing over and over again, expecting something to change, that's Einstein's definition of insanity. So stop it, crazy, 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 crazy people. So you got to put a wedge in that cycle, the wedge being something like looking at data differently, like getting a coach, like joining a membership, like taking a class, like put a wedge in the cycle, get some new something in your brain, whether you provide it yourself by looking at data from a new, you know, different context, or you bring in someone else to be that wedge for you. But, um, if you're spinning your wheels and I know that feeling, I definitely like went through a couple years of spinning wheels and releasing records and having literally, literally nothing happen except some dumb, stupid, no one reads blogger wrote about it. Woohoo, who cares? Mm-hmm. Um, then it's time to do something different. And and usually that means getting out of your head and getting out of your space and letting someone else in.
0: I love it. Okay. The next thing I want to talk about, the podcast, key conversations. You have like freaking over 500 episodes. So let me just say this. You, okay. Well, now I just feel like a loser.
1: <laughs> You're so funny. Wait, I, do I? I think they're. I, I have five seasons. They're not, I don't think they're 500 episodes. There's okay. 20, To 25. Yes, I have over 100 for sure. But anyway, you're not a loser.
0: Okay, thank you, thank you for that. Because uh Eric G and I are over here celebrating this New Year's Eve. We got to episode 100, nice. and for episode 100, uh, Eric G and my wife Lola, whom you met, uh, interviewed me. So that was fun. So we're thinking, oh. yeah, we're doing something good with 100. And I'm over here on your podcast. And I'm saying, wait, it says 521. I'm like, 521 episodes. So I love that you have seasons. We have seasons too. Yeah,
1: that's episode. Don't, don't do that to
0: yourself, no, man. He'll do that. He'll get into it. He'll 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 do it all time. Look for ways to diminish his own celebrations yeah. and success. Absolutely, absolutely, that's really funny. And so that's when I come in and tell him, "Snap out of it! You're doing well. You're doing great." <laughs> this is perfect. This I am a transparent individual. I love. I'm a New Yorker as well. I was born and raised in Long Island, so I have a very strong accent when I want I to. You do. It comes. I, I know. Uh, so that th- you have no accent. So congratulations. I know. Yeah, you've worked on. It. <laughs> uh but uh the thing is i'm all about truth right and and that east coast thing it is it's like tell it as it is so i don't mind being vulnerable so yes and i think by my vulnerability people can identify with that and learn from it so i think you're expressing the same thing with your your coaching concepts and a lot of your courses i love that give us the rundown this all started with the podcast give us the rundown of your podcast real quick
1: yeah, Key Conversations started with MX4. That program, the marketing branding one, I used to run live. And I would only have between five and ten people on it. Yeah. And what I would do is I would – it was a six-week course. I ran it live 14 times before I finally recorded it yeah. so to make sure that it was really fine freaking tuned. And it is, by the way. Um, but I, what I wanted to do is every week bring in a, a guest. So Emmy-winning composers, touring artists, drummers that are in famous bands. Like all sorts of amazing guests for those – Um, for those people. And then those musicians that were in MX4 were the ones asking the questions. So I was kind of moderating. So these guys got to answer questions from actual musicians and they weren't just me interviewing them. It was actual. So it was really representative of the independent music community. And all of the guests were so generous that they were able to talk directly to musician, independent musicians. So that was the first couple seasons of MX4 people actually um, interviewing these guests and then um, I did one season where I interviewed musicians and we some of them would kind of do like a hot seat coaching kind of thing and we were having conversations um, with them and then the season I think it was season four which was kind of last year, I followed my entire process of releasing a record, and I documented everything from uploading to the distributor, to um, what it took to get on billboard charts, to you know doing a fully crazy grammy campaign like the whole process of recording choosing my tracks the album like the the drama i had with my album artist like but it was all in order of the process and i had a couple interviews along the way with different websites that i started to use anytime i was like oh i think that's why i was like oh what's this submit hub thing cool i'm just gonna call a ceo and get him on my podcast and learn about it and then i learned how to do it right so that's what that season was and then season five was sort of a surprise season we did last december And it was all interviews with musicians who were able to pivot and have not just, like, uh, I survived 2020 in COVID year, but thrived. Like, so many musicians saying that they had their best, their highest income ever, and all these musicians were in Amplify. So we called it the 12 Days of Amplify, and it was about 20-something interviews. And then the very last one was an interview with um, Joni Leeds, who's nominated for a Grammy in the children's category. And mm-hmm. talking about the drama around why uh, three out of the five people who were nominated have requested to drop out. Um, and it's a due to the fact that they're all white. And they wanted to really have the children's um, category represent the, the actual children that they're serving. So we, she and I had a really, really um, big conversation about why she decided to stay on the ballot. The, you know, the work she's doing with women on her record. And so that was sort of a bonus uh, of season five.
0: I love it. Beautiful. I'm noticing, I, I just checked this out again, the 12 Days of Amplify wins. So keyconversations.buzzsprout.com is where you can find the, the podcast. But of course, if you go to your one, yeah, in your the one URL, you can find, every, yeah, find everything. everything.
1: Yeah, You can even just go to my musician site, CBE, CBE Music, yeah. which is e- easy to remember because that will send you two in the cubes It says musician resources. So that's very obvious. It will send you everywhere you would want to go. Everything connects to everything.
0: Absolutely. And leading up to that, uh, as we come to uh, near a close here, I don't want to gloss over luminary. Talk about that. Talk about, uh, you know, the process a a little bit. Yeah. I mean, that's a huge accomplishment.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. um, Well, I had been struggling with anxiety for a really long time and I started meditating and then um, I did a meditation challenge and 60 days, I used to have like a really, really big anxiety attack. Like it kind of looked like food poisoning for me, which is super gross, but it would be like once a month ish. And uh, sixty days into meditating five minutes a day, I had my and and writing in a gratitude journal. I had like a little twelve minute morning routine. Um, but sixty days in, I had my last anxiety attack. And today, as recording this, I'm on day 952 of doing all of that straight. So I realized that there's something to this like mindfulness shit. So I ended up. Um, Applied for a bunch of uh, composer residencies, just sort of separate from that. And then I got accepted to this one in this tiny little half-abandoned mountain town in Greece. And I went. And I, I was going to write the text for a choral album, social justice choral album, which is a, a lot of work I do. Neat. Um actually I have a song called The Listening coming out that Martin Luther King's Goddaughter is singing on. It's coming out in uh during Black History Month, so keep an eye out for that. Yeah. But I was going to re- like write the text for this choral album and I get there and they're like, "Here's your room." And we were like went through this like stone archway that was like falling apart and then it opened up into this gorgeous stone room with a grand piano in the middle of it. And I was like, "And we're doing a piano record." So, I had all I had was this tiny little podcast mic. Um so I was like, "You know what?" we're gonna we're gonna see what we can create. And so i I basically had already had a bunch of um, sort of mantras and themes, things that you want to release or attract, like release negativity, release anxiety, attract love, attract abundance. So I had all these different themes that i was I was writing some poems from and writing affirmations, positive affirmations because I did a lot of science reading on that. So I was like, all right, each of these pieces, going to be based on that. So I would play piano bits and I would sing and hum and do breath stuff. And then I would go and produce it and reverse the sounds and I would pluck piano strings. I would do all this sort of John Cagey stuff. And I was really mindful of the tempos because I didn't want people to fall asleep during this. I wanted this to meet you where you were as a listener. So for me, when I was anxious and I would go try to listen to meditation music, it would be like, um, you know, like I would either fall asleep and not deal with the problem, or I would... It was so background music that my thoughts would just stay anxious. So I was like, all right, let's create something that sort of pierces the listening. So a bell, a reverse sound that's kind of like a little weird, and and never, never slow enough tempo-wise that it would be below your resting heart rate. So that I didn't need to put a don't listen to this while driving or operating heavy machinery. I didn't want to put that. Like I actually have people told me that they honk less when they listen to Luminary in the car. So um, it's designed to kind of latch onto where you are, and then they they all start a little dark. There's dissonance, and then they all. Open up somehow. So there's a lot of like major to minor work. There's a lot of left to right. There's some panning things that happen. Um, and there's 10 six minute tracks. So it's kind of like a whole yoga class um, or meditation class. There's like an energy flow to it. And it released last year in February, February 7th. And it was number one on iTunes and Amazon for a while. And it hit the top of all these new age charts and We had an ad in billboard, you know, I was featured in Grammy.com. It had a really good year and it's on Insight Timer and Simple Habit, all these different meditation apps. There are affirmational versions of it. Um, So I'll be releasing that spoken word record officially this year, the Luminary Affirmations. So um, it kind of was a really neat space to represent and be a part of. Um, And I learned a lot about other new age artists and, you know, sort of where they come from. And yeah, it was a really, really cool journey. I'm excited to kind of hang out there for a little while.
0: It sounds amazing. It definitely sounds like you should. you should, you should explore that world and and dive deeper of uh, that's the beautiful picture on your website of that stone palace you're talking about there. Uh, now you said you mentioned something about a composer retreat. what is that and and how does one go about uh embarking upon that?
1: Yeah, it's was an artist residency I'm you know, I'm on all these there' sort of creative websites that have residencies, ones that you pay for, ones that you can get scholarships for, ones that pay you to go to them. Um there's all sorts of different kinds and just one year I was kind of feeling like getting away and I applied to a, like 10 of them. And I got into two. I actually mixed the record um in October in another residency in upstate New York. So uh yeah, just just artist residency, composer residency, there they you can look, you know, google them different different names. Um mm-hmm. uh-huh. I mean, I was the only there there's a duo there that was like a Uh, not not husband wife I think they were just dating but they were like a music duo composer performer group but everyone else there were sculptors and painters and uh, there was a choreographer and she actually in the final like art installation of the the two-week residency um, she choreographed a piece uh, to the first one that I had completed the first piece from Luminary that I had completed so there was a collaboration there but it was all a lot of visual artists so I was I was one of the only musicians there.
0: And then you guys all hang out, you know, when you're not working on your art or. Yeah.
1: Yeah. We all ate at like one restaurant. The restaurant would like stay late for us and they would like, make dinner just for us. There were 14 of us, 13 of us. And it, we were actually, <laughs> I, it's not how it normally is, but it happened to be that it was all women except for the one guy that was with her, his partner. Um, so it, yeah, it was definitely like there were hikes and there were some day excursions. I was actually very clear that I like had to finish the record there cause I was not going to be able to recreate the room sound because it right. was like this echo. So I, I actually skipped all of the like, day trips and things they did which i mean in the two weeks i think there were maybe two or three of them but i was like nope gotta record sorry um so i I, once i knew what i was doing like day three i was kind of like okay cool can i can i create all of the original audio with this tiny mic and just my breath this bell i brought and the piano in 10 days so
0: you could you did it. Yeah. And then you did some post-production at home? Or, you, or Yeah,
1: I did a lot of the post-production there. I actually did the post-production in the daytime because the cicadas were so fucking loud that my microphone was picking them up. Like, these bugs, I've never heard – like, if you go to Iamilluminary.com or you find the – web, that's the website. There's a making of, and you can hear the cicadas – is so anyway so at night it was when i actually did the recording so i would record at night and then the next day i would edit that track and turn it into the six minute piece and i definitely did edits and mixed it later and i i I took a month off because i had a musical that i wrote that went up um so that was my september but october came and i i basically just mixed it and just a little editing but i did a lot i did most of the work in in greece so it was cool awesome
0: sounds like so much fun yeah Cheryl, this has been an amazing episode. You've dropped so much wisdom and resources for everybody. I appreciate that. Thanks. That's really important because, uh, you know, that's what we're all here for. Encouragement. We got we have to band together. And and yes, the pun intended. <laughs> nice.
1: Love it. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. Can we do some rapid fire real quick? Yes. All right. You ready? Favorite city? New York. All right. Hidden talents?
1: Uh, I don't hide stuff. Okay. oh i paddleboard i paddleboard
0: oh that's a good one top three artists in your playlist
1: top three artists yeah um uh oh my god google dolls Uh,
0: Uh, that's like a guilty pleasure (laughs)
1: oh yeah dave Rubeck and luminary
0: okay i I like that i love dave Rubeck and luminary google dolls i appreciate too but that's like a guilty pleasure right it it really is (laughs) studio or live studio uh favorite drink Libation, if you have one. If you don't, all good.
1: Uh, elderflower Prosecco with a tiny little bit of Saint Germain.
0: Oh, nice. It's very specific. I like that. Mm-hmm. Last concert you attended?
1: Ooh, what was the last concert I attended? Maybe Lake Street Dive. My drummer is in Lake Street Dive.
0: Ah, your friends would say you are? Awesome. <laughs> Dream collab.
1: Uh, Sarah Morales.
0: What entertains you?
1: A lot of, like, Everything.
0: Okay, and finally, I like that. If you weren't a career musician, what would you be doing?
1: I think there is definitely an uh, interior designer in me.
0: <laughs> Dude, you're like the fifth or sixth person that said the same thing on these on these interviews. I'm the same way. I'm, I would love to be an architect or a designer. So mm-hmm. I think there's something about musicians. We just like the, creating... the
1: arts. my OCD like things need to be placed well it's kind of like what I do when I really need to procrastinate is like I repaint and completely redo a bathroom
0: and rearrange your studio and all that crap I do that yeah okay crazy this has been amazing you're 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 a gem and a wealth of information so thank you so much
1: you're so welcome thanks for having me